The last few weeks, we've been in a series called Nonsense. Now, unfortunately, there are many things that are passed around the church uh, setting that don't actually have any basis in Scripture. You can actually Google dumb things that Christians say, and there's a lot of hits. So that tells you something right there. Um, things like uh, this one, uh, share if you love Jesus. How many of you have ever seen something on Facebook or gotten a message or an email that said, pass this along to 10 people in the next minute, and you'll get you know blessed or whatever. It'll say, like, one share equals one blessing. Now... Is that scriptural? No, it is not. It's not like Jesus is sitting up in heaven with a a MacBook saying, hmm, let me see who I can bless, who shared that post so I can bless them today. You know, I mean, really. Dumb things that Christians say, right? It's nonsense. The last few weeks, Pastor Dexter has talked about a couple of these things. The first one was God won't give you more than you can handle. That is not in the Bible. Not exactly like that. And if you have lived longer than one day, you know that that is not true. Because life is more than we can handle. Amen? But the thing is, is that God gives us his promises in my favorite scripture, which is John 16, 33, one of my favorite scriptures. And it says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Amen? Amen. So so life may be more than you can handle, but take heart. God has overcome the world. The second thing that people might say that is nonsense is that Pastor Dexter talked about last week is God just wants me to be happy. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. He wants you to be filled with joy. But these people don't understand why God would ever require them to do something hard or something that's difficult. And these are also the people who try to justify things that are clearly sinful because they're like, God just wants me to be happy. But let me ask you something. You've ever, have you ever met a child whose parents just wanted them to be happy? Yeah, me too. I've met those kids too. And what are they like? Spoiled brats, right? Spoiled brats. They're selfish. They're self-centered. They're useless because their parents never make them do anything, never make them take responsibility. They just want them to be happy. But that's not what God wants for his children. Amen? God want his, wants his children to be, he's less concerned with us being happy and more concerned with us being holy and filled with joy that is not dependent on the circumstances around us. Here at Celebrate Church, we are dedicated to studying the Word of God. We are dedicated to encouraging you to study the Word of God and basing our lives and decisions on His Word. Our foundational scripture for this series is Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. That scripture says, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. But as with every message, we know that context deepens our understanding of the content, right? If you've been with us for longer than a couple of weeks, you know that. So we want to take a minute and we want to look at the context of this verse. Why did Paul write this to the church in the city of Colossae? Why was he saying this? to them. Paul is writing to the believers at that church in response to reports that he had received about false doctrine that was being spread around and that threatened the future of the church. Most of the new believers had followed other religions and philosophies before giving their lives to Christ, and they faced a continual struggle to keep their newfound faith separate from the spiritual current around them. I face that struggle too. You face that struggle of keeping my faith pure 
from the influences around me, but also my old man from creeping up. Amen? So the church in Colossians, Colossae, I can't say it, the church in Colossae, they needed help. More specifically, the heresy that was taking root in Colossae was a form of Gnosticism. Now, Gnosticism is actually still around today. And um, I was looking into what they believe, and I pulled this from a source explaining their doctrine. Gnostics believe that the knowledge of transcendence is arrived at by way of interior intuitive means. In other words, Gnostics believe that you don't need to be saved from your sin. You need to be saved from the ignorance that causes you to sin. And this happens through a personal journey of enlightenment, a personal journey of enlightenment. So Paul wrote to the Colossian church to warn them away from error and reiterate the central nature of Christ, that salvation apart from Christ is no salvation at all. Now we see this in modern society as well. Most of us don't know any practicing Gnostics, or at least we don't know that we do, but we are under a constant barrage of messages that tell us to exalt the individual above all else. Tell me if you've ever heard this, be yourself, follow your dreams. If you've ever watched a Disney movie, I'm a child of the nineties, everyone says, follow your own path, follow your dreams. You do you, right? If you've ever heard that, then you know that we have the same message that's creeping into our society and we need the same warnings that Paul gave to the Colossians as well. Now, this brings us to our nonsense message today, which is my faith is personal. My faith is personal. Now, there are two different types of people that might say this. The first is the unbeliever. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time there because I know most of you and I know that you are believers, but I never want to assume that everyone that comes to church actually has a relationship with Christ. So this worldview says, my faith is personal, my spiritual journey is my own, and you can't tell me that there's only one way to heaven. This is a huge influence in the world around us. We may not believe that, but people around us, your friends and family, believe that. They believe that there is no one way to heaven, that there are many roads to Christ or to salvation. Some even say that claiming that salvation comes through Jesus alone is exclusive and intolerant. But what does God's word say? Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And even more explicitly, Acts 4, 12 says, salvation is found, oh, here we go, and there is no, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So if people say that there are many roads to heaven, that my, my faith is personal, I can reach heaven, I can reach salvation by my own way, the word of God says no. And if you're here today and you've been trusting anything other than Christ, if you've been trusting the faith of your family or the fact that you go to church every Sunday or the fact that you're just a good person, if you've been trusting anything other than Christ himself to bring you salvation and into right standing with God, then I want to urge you today to listen to the Holy Spirit because he's speaking to your heart even now and make things right with Jesus. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Amen. Now, the second group of people that will say my faith is personal is going to be the Christians. Those of us who already love Jesus and have made him the Lord of our life. Sometimes we believe this nonsense as well. And we might say something like this. My faith is personal. 
when somebody encourages us to go deep in our faith and go to Bible study or to, um, we might say, my faith is personal. It's my own journey. I'll go at my own pace. This is true to an extent. One of the best things about our Christian faith is that it, God is a very personal God. He deals with us each individually. But there are specific benchmarks that he has called all Christians to adhere to. The first one is salvation through Jesus alone. We've already covered that. But that's the first thing you have to do, right? The second thing is that every Christian is expected to grow spiritually. God may make us grow in different ways in different times, but we all must grow. We know that anything that is not growing is what? Dead or dying. That's right. How many of you have plants at your house that are a prime example of this? I do. Mine are just like drowned right now. Anything that's not growing is dying. And if we see a child that is stunted in their growth, then we see that we, we look on that child as with sympathy and we say that we know that there's something wrong with that. So if we understand that in the natural, why do we not understand it in the spiritual as well? Hebrews chapter five and six speak to this. The writer says this, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you'd still need someone to teach you again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. So Paul is saying to to these Christians, he's saying, you've been in this for long enough. You should be off the milk by now, right? You need to be doing, you need to be going a little bit deeper and not dealing with the basics anymore. He says, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness because he is a child, because he is a child. So ask yourself, I'm going to ask myself, are we growing as believers? That's a benchmark that the Lord has put in place. We have to be growing as believers. Is my relationship with Christ and my adherence to his word Closer than it was before. Am I further from my old man than I was before? Am I growing in my relationship? Am I loving him more? Am I displaying his love to the people around me more than maybe a year ago or when I first believed? We might all grow differently, but we should all be growing. That's why the mission statement of our church states very clearly that we are loving all, impacting our world, and growing together. If you have been with us for any length of time or ever heard me talk at all, then you have heard me say that we are not interested in creating good church people, not interested in having good churchgoers here at Celebrate Church. We want to make disciples, people that follow Jesus, people that are growing in their faith, people that are passionate about the world around them. So first, we have to all have faith in Jesus. Secondly, we have to all be growing. And thirdly, every Christian is expected to be sharing their faith. Now, this is where today's nonsense statement gets most used by Christians, unfortunately. Christians will say, my faith is personal. I live out by my faith by actions, so I don't have to use my words. We say, oh, my my faith is personal, so I don't want to put my faith on somebody else because it's very personal. There's an old teaching um, that said that's called lifestyle evangelism. How many of you have ever heard of lifestyle evangelism? And, you know, there's an old saying and it says, you know, 
preach God wherever, where, where, preach Jesus wherever you go, and if necessary, use words. And that is true to an extent. It's good to an extent because our actions should always be pointing to Jesus and never distract from him, obviously. But it also might have become a cop-out because it makes us think that there's never a reason for us ever to actually use words to talk about Jesus to our friends and our family. So today's challenge is my faith, your faith may be personal, but it is definitely not private. I'm going to say that again. Your faith may be personal, but it is not private. Listen to, listen to 1 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if any, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation is come. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now I'm going to stop right there because this is what lifestyle evangelism should be right here. If you're going to talk about lifestyle evangelism, this is what it should be. Our new person should be completely different than the old person that we were. Our lifestyle and our life should be so different that the people around us can tell that we belong to Jesus now. It should be as if we're a completely different person. But then let's go on to verse 18. All this is from God who, though Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry, or through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us that message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on the behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Look at verses 18 and 19 again. It says, after reconciling us to God, that God has given us the ministry and the message of reconciliation. Now, reconciliation just means restoring it to harmony, a relationship that's been broken. Okay, so it would kind of be like if Maggie and Maddie had an argument, okay? So if Maddie and Maggie had an argument, if I was going to help them reconcile, then I would go to Maddie and I would say, Maddie, I talked to Maggie and she says that she's not going to hold anything against you. She forgives you for everything. Come on, come with me. Let's make this right. That's reconciliation, right? And we get to take that message of hope to our friends and to our family. We get to tell them that through Jesus, God is not counting any of their sins against them. What a relief. Have you ever felt that before? Have you ever, have you ever had someone that you knew was upset with you because you knew you had done something wrong and then they forgave you and they're not counting against you anymore? What a relief. It's like a weight had been lifted off of your shoulders, right? And that's what God is saying. That's the message that we get to take to the people around us. Guess what? God says, if you will just come to him, that he's not going to hold any of that against you. He forgives you. You're free. This has been God's plan all along. If it wasn't, then he should have just taken us to heaven after we got saved, right? It would be kind of cruel to leave us here and to go through life if he didn't have something else for us to do. But he did. He had a plan to reconcile the whole world to himself. And that plan is through us. Here's the thing. He didn't have a backup plan. It's us or it's no one. Either we show our friends and our family the way to Jesus or no one does. 
Eternity hangs in the balance for the people around us. They are waiting and literally dying for us to be ambassadors for Christ and to represent him well. This is why you're in the job that you're in. This is why you go to the school that you go to. This is why you're with the classmates or the teachers that you're with. This is why you keep running into the same person at Kroger. And you're like, why does this person keep popping up in my life? This is why you get the same barista at Starbucks every single time. God is placing these people in your life and in my life because he wants us to tell them the message of hope that he has for them. He is ready and waiting to start over with them. Now, verse 20 says that we are Christ's ambassadors. An ambassador is somebody, we understand this in like a political sense, an ambassador is somebody who goes before royalty or a dignitary of some sort to represent him, and God has chosen us. Now, this it might be tempting to think that this only applies to pastors or evangelists or people that are paid to be Christians. (laughs) But the Bible says, or God says, that we're all given this ministry of reconciliation. I heard somebody uh, give this illustration, and I'm going to have to read it because there's a lot of numbers, okay? Imagine that someone were to come up to you and say that you are responsible to feed an entire village for seven years, okay? An entire village. It's your job to feed them. They gave you a choice. You can have two huge elephants, a male and a female, and at the end of seven years, you can take those elephants and any offspring, and you can feed your village. Or you can have two little tiny fluffy bunnies and at the end of seven years, you can take your bunnies and you can feed the village. Which would you choose? How many of you would choose the elephants because they're really, really big? See, you guys know where I'm going, right? (laughs) How many of you would choose the, the rabbits? Why? Yeah, there's a reason that it says breeding like rabbits, right? Okay, listen to this. Elephants can't have babies until they're 14 years old. The gestation period, ladies, for an elephant is 22 months. Yeah. Oh, Lord. Other things I have to be thankful for. uh, Elephants very rarely have twins. They have one baby at a time. And then, even if they got pregnant right away, it would be almost two years before they would have another single baby. So baby elephants at seven years, at the end of your seven years, are about 4,000 to 4,500 pounds. And adult elephants are about nine to 10,000 pounds. So at the end of seven years, you might have three baby elephants at 4,500 pounds each, plus your two adult elephants, which is going to give you 31,500 pounds of food. That's a lot of chicken nuggets right there. Okay. Rabbits, on the other hand, are only 10 pounds each, adult rabbits. But the female rabbit is fertile at six months. She can also get pregnant almost immediately after giving birth. And when she gives birth, she gives birth to multitude, not multitude, multiple babies, six to 10. We're going to say six for argument's sake. And we'll say that half of those are females. So those females in six months can then get pregnant and they can start having babies. And then those babies at six months, you get the idea, right? Their gestation period is only 28 days. So realistically, after six months old, they can have, they can give birth every month to six to 10 um, bunnies. And we'll say half of those are females. So at the end of seven years, you will have 95 billion female rabbits. Okay. Females only. 
So with an average of an average weight of 10 pounds each, that's 950 billion pounds of food. Wow. You guys understand that the church as an organization, the people that are paid to be Christians are the elephants. You guys understand that, right? We are the elephants. The church is an organization with its pastors and its evangelists and its counselors and its food banks. We're the elephants. We have resources and we have a presence and we can do things on a large scale. But when it comes to this world, knowing who Jesus is, we're going to have a very small impact because we can't get into your life. We cannot go to your school. We cannot get into your job. We have to stop expecting the church to change the world. And we have to be the church. We have to be rabbits because rabbits can go places elephants can't because rabbits can fit. If I show up at your job and start telling people about Jesus, they're going to call security on me because I don't fit there. I don't work there. But if you at your job start sharing Christ with your coworkers, then lives can get changed. Now you might say, Amy, I don't work. I stay at home with kids all day or maybe I'm retired and my circle is very, very small. Well, God's obviously not through with you or he would have taken you to heaven by now. What if, I, what if you started praying? I mean, really praying for the salvation of your family members and of your friends and your neighbors. What if you started writing every day a note or a text or an email or a message to somebody, encouraging them in the word, encouraging them in their faith? We as a body of Christ need to start, stop taking something that's personal and keeping it so private And start sharing with people what it means to be reconciled. That God loves them, that he wants to forgive them, and he wants to have a relationship with them. Now verse 20 said that our job is not to change people. God is the one that does the reconciliation. Our job is just to tell them. And if we go out and do this, then the world would be a better place. Your job would be a better place. Your family would be a better place. I was um, teaching history to my students. I'm going off script here for a second. To my students, and we were talking about the Great Awakening. And there were some quotes in there from um, the people in the towns where the Great Awakening happened at the birth at the birth and dawn of America. It was this huge revival that took place in the hearts and lives just all over the country. And it said that you could walk down the street. You could hardly walk down the street without hearing coming out of the houses hymns and praise music or hearing uh, fathers pray over their children or you could see the difference in the people that used to go to the saloons and you could see the difference in the schools and you could see the difference in the homes because when the we are the church and we are rabbits then the culture has changed the culture has changed so what would it look like if you just took one more step to making your faith public Maybe that's inviting somebody to church. Maybe it's coming to small group and committing to a deeper, going deeper in your faith in, with Christ. Maybe it's taking the step of water baptism. Maybe you've never been water baptized and you need to take that step to tell the world and everyone around you that you belong to Jesus and that you've decided to live your life for him. Maybe the next step for you is to go home this afternoon and to write down your testimony Because here's the thing, your friends and family are less concerned with what God did in the people in the Bible and more concerned about what he's done in your life because they know you, right? So write it down. 
Write down the things that used to control your life, your mind, and how God changed you, how he made you new, and how he gave you peace, and how he gave you a family. Write down the hard times that you've endured, and write down how God has shown himself to be faithful to you and to carry you. Because if you write it down, then you will be able to do what 1 Peter 3.15 says. You'll be able to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. You'll be prepared to take it public because you'll have already written it down. Maybe your next step in taking your faith public is to pray for the infilling of the, of the Holy Spirit. We call it the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Let's look at Peter and John in the book of Acts. Now, if you know the story of Peter and John, you know that when Jesus was arrested right before his crucifixion, John ran away and Peter denied he even knew Jesus. But then in Acts chapter two, something happens and they become filled with the Holy Spirit and it completely changes them. These two men are now talking about Jesus to anybody who would listen and they're even healing people in Jesus's name. Well, this got them in trouble with the religious leaders because the religious leaders wanted to squash the story of Jesus as quickly as possible. But listen to chapter 4, verse 13. Now, when they, talking about the religious leaders, they're like on trial here. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men who can relate, uneducated and common. I can feel, I feel that they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Lifestyle evangelism. All right, let's keep going. On their, now this is verse 23 on their release, Peter and John returned to their own people and reported everything that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. All right, jump down to verse 29. And they prayed. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with what? Boldness. Keep going. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your Holy Spirit, your Holy Servant Jesus. Keep going. Verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness, boldness three, four times in that one passage of scripture. I need more boldness in my life. If I want to take, if I want to take my, my faith and take it from being personal and keep it and, and take it to being public and share my faith with Jesus. I got to have some boldness. Well, apparently if I have to have boldness, I have to have the Holy Spirit in my life. Maybe what you need is more boldness too. Instead of just sympathizing with someone when they're going through a hard time and t- tell them that you'll pray for them or better yet, ask them if you can pray for them right there. I remember the first time, one of the first times I did this, I was at a, um, it was at the school, the first school I ever taught at, um, right out of college. And I was walking down the outside sidewalk and I ran into a coworker from another class. And, you know, I just said, good morning. How are you? Fine. And I almost kept going, but I stopped and I said, are you really? And she broke down and she told me she had just gotten off the phone and gotten um, a bad report from her doctor. She had cancer. I'll never forget this. I'm standing on that sidewalk and she said, no, I'm not really fine. I just got off the phone with my doctor and they said, I have cancer. So I told her, I said, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. I am definitely going to be praying for you. 
And then I stopped again and I said, you know what, actually, can I just pray for you right now? Now, we live in the Bible Belt, so most of the time, if you ask someone, would you mind if I pray with you right now? They're going to say yes. That's okay. You can do that. And so I did. We stood there outside on the sidewalk, and we just agreed together for her health and for her peace of mind. So you can have that. You can take that next step of boldness. You could talk about the things that you're learning to your friends and the way that God's changing your heart. You don't have to go through the ABCs of salvation every time, but you do need to take your relationship with God outside of your own heart and mind. Remember, it may be personal, but it is not private. I believe that God has already started speaking to you about what your next step is. What the next thing you need to, the next step you need to take in making your, taking your relationship deeper with Christ or making him public in your life. At some point in this message, he has put his finger on your next step in surrendering to him. Maybe you don't even have a relationship with Christ. Maybe not really. Maybe you've been coming to church for a while, but you've never actually surrendered your life to Christ. Maybe you're like so many other people that believe that there's not a single way to get to heaven, that you can do all of these things and that'll do it without actually surrendering your life. Well, if that's you, I urge you to make that right today. Like Paul said, I implore you, be reconciled to God. He's waiting and he's ready to forgive you. He will not count your sins or your stubbornness against you. He just wants a relationship with you. Or maybe if you need to be water baptized or you'd like to pray for the infilling of the Holy Spirit so that you can have more boldness in your faith. If, if, if any of those things apply to you, then uh, Pastor Don's going to be on this side and Miss Diane's going to be over here at this prayer station. And they would love to talk with you about those things. Water baptism, salvation, baptism in the Holy Spirit. Go speak to one of them. The worship team is going to lead us in one more song. And as they do, if you need prayer for any of those things, then I urge you to go find one of them and they'll be glad to pray for you. But maybe you need to just stop being scared and to put your faith into action and into words. Maybe you need to ask the Lord to give you creative ideas of how you can take the next step and you can go deeper with him and you can live for him louder and stronger and more boldly. If that's you, then I encourage you to go and find a prayer uh, minister as well, or maybe just find a place for yourself to pray by yourself and ask God to help you. We all need his help to take our faith public, to go deeper with him, and to remember that that we are ambassadors for him, that we go before him and we represent him. So as the worship team leads us in this last song, let's pray in our hearts and our minds and let's ask the Holy Spirit, what are you trying to say to me? How can I be an ambassador for you? How can I tell my friends and my family to be reconciled to God?